Hello, and welcome to Plastics News Radio. This episode is one of a series we recorded on location from the negotiations for a global plastics treaty in Paris. I'm Steve Tolikin, your host, and a journalist at Plastics News. We went to the talks because this treaty could have a big impact on how we manufacture plastics, how we use it, and ultimately how we deal with its pollution. Over the next 18 months, diplomats from more than 150 countries will try to reach an agreement. In Paris, I talked with both industry and environmental groups about what they want. In this episode, we hear from Joshua Baca. At the time of the interview, Joshua was Vice President of Plastics at the American Chemistry Council, but he's since left ACC. Still, we decided to broadcast the interview because it offers the resin industry's viewpoint. Joshua talks about how an agreement could accelerate what he calls the industry's generational transition away from a linear business model. We're here with Joshua Baca, uh, the Vice President of Plastics at the American Chemistry Council, where he leads their plastics efforts. Uh, Joshua has a long Washington background working for the American Beverage Association, uh, running advocacy campaigns for public affairs firms in D.C., and working on Mitt Romney's 2012 presidential campaign as National Coalition's director. Uh, Joshua, thanks for joining us on the podcast. Thank you, Steve, and good morning, and very much thank you for having me today. Um, let's start with, um, can you briefly introduce ACC's Plastics Division and tell us what your goals are for this round of the treaty talks and the agreement in general? Yep. Um, ACC's Plastics Division uh, represents America's plastic makers. Um, they are the chemists and the scientists and the engineers who really work daily to make modern life possible by innovating uh, and bringing to the market materials, technologies, and solutions to solve some of the biggest challenges we have. Our core focus uh, writ large is this global agreement is a really important inflection point for our industry because what we have been working on is really a massive generational transition of our industry, moving a largely linear business model to something much more circular. And in the context of these talks, we think that could have a very powerful acceleration of that work. And so when we look at what we hope to accomplish here, it, we hope to accomplish very robust um, efforts that focus around uh, an agreement that is equitable for all countries, that is practical, that is implementable, and really does what it should do, which is unleash the power of innovation um, to continue to advance circularity around the globe. Okay. Um, so uh, you talk about the uh, having a powerful agreement that unleashes the industry. Um, what are the elements that you see in an agreement like this that would do that? Yeah, well, I mean, in the, there's still a lot to be discussed, first yeah, off, definitely. in regards to the agreement. Um, but there are some very powerful elements that I think are really important for us to focus on. Um, one is when we think about circularity in general, one of the key things for us is to ensure that we have proper systems for everyday people to recycle the products that they buy and consume. We need to have systems to make sure that those are processed and sorted. And we need to make sure that there is a commitment to ensure that all types of plastic packaging in particular have the ability to get recycled. So I say that is the first thing is there's 3 billion people across the world today who lack equitable, equitable access to waste management. And that's a problem, right? I mean, if we're really being honest with ourselves, this is a major barrier in us accelerating circularity. But what I think is also really important here is we're also doing our part. Um, you have heard me talk a lot about some of the investments we've done domestically. 
um, in prepping for these negotiations. We've been working with our companies all over the globe. $16 billion of announced investments over the last handful of years. Um, I heard once that yesterday that uh, when we started pre-pandemic really making this transition, we were tracking about a billion dollars. That's now o nearly or over $16 billion because um, I think it shows the commitment what the industry is doing. And it's pretty simple. We need to modernize existing technologies. We need to bring new technologies to market. We need more public-private partnerships and you know, collaboration across the value chain generally to accelerate some of these commitments. Okay. Um, regarding the, the, the recycling situation in the United States and the need to make improvements there, um, you know, I think we were both at a conference in March where uh, one of the lead U.S. negotiators uh, for this treaty, Monica Medina, although she's since left the State Department, but she commented that the plastic recycling situation in the United States is abysmal. Um, is that a fair statement? I uh, think that's a pretty fair statement. I mean, there, I, think, um, I think it's really important to remember what Monica was saying, and I think she did a phenomenal job, by the way, in positioning the U.S. to have such a strong voice in these overall negotiations. But the systems today in the U.S. that govern recycling are pretty broken. There are 9,000 recycling jurisdictions that do 9,000 different things. It's easier today to landfill and incinerate material than it is to recycle. The process is confusing. And so what I really think was what uh, Monica said, which I thought was the most powerful thing that she said through these whole negotiations, is we're throwing all these labels. There's high ambition and there's this and there's that. She said the U.S. also has very high ambitions. And I firmly agree with that. And I think the thing that is really important is that when we look at what America's plastic makers can do, we think that the U.S. and North America generally should become the epicenter for circularity, where we manufacture plastic products efficiently with the lowest carbon footprint, that we've put in place systems and models to collect, sort, and process material, and that we use that material that is collected to re be repurposed into new products. And I think you take that plus the significant feedstock advantage we already have in the United States. Couple that with new and emerging feedstocks from waste plastic, from bio. Um, we are gonna live in a world where the U.S. could be the model. And so when we think about these efforts, while the systems in the U.S. aren't perfect, they're a lot better than a lot of other places in the world. And we think when it's all said and done, and we look back on this, which is something that's pretty humbling in my perspective. You know, something I could think through, get through this in my career. We could have really reset the trajectory and made the U.S. the model for the world. And I think you're going to see that play out in the context of these talks. Okay, um, we're here on you know day three of a five-day scheduled session, and it's it's we've gotten off to kind of a rocky start. Yeah, um, there's been some procedural fights. Um, Makes Congress look functional, right? <laughs> <laughs> and there's a lot of, uh, you know, some of the NGOs uh, have said that these procedural fights are really over uh, the issue of virgin resin production caps. Um, are they correct? Do you think that virgin resin production caps will be a sticking point in these negotiations? I say that because there are, there are different visions of the treaty that are being expressed here. There's a vision of the treaty that it should stay focused on uh, plastic pollution in the environment. It seems to coincide more with the, the ACC's vision. There's a vision of the treaty expressed by groups that you were alluding to, the High Ambition Coalition of Countries, and uh, this Global Business Co Business Coalition for Global Plastics Treaty, which has used language like, you know, they would like to see some restraint on virgin resin production growth, among other topics. Um, so are there competing visions of, of the treaty here? And uh, 
Do you see this virgin resin production cap issue as a significant uh, stumbling block in the negotiations? Yeah, so, so three things there. So the first off around um, this, the, where we are in regards to the talks and whether caps on production are the issue, the High Ambition Coalition and the Business Coalition. Overall, where we are today in this is that a lot of work remains in regards to the procedural um, aspects that are going to govern the talks of these negotiations. And I think what you're hearing countries raise up and speak, and I have been directly on the floor and I've been di directly interacting with a lot of the delegations that are there, is I think that folks are raising concerns with the context that we need to make sure that we carefully craft an agreement that doesn't have unintended consequences and that every country has an opportunity to raise their voice on concerns they have. Is that about production caps or not? I, I really frankly don't know that. I think it's about a lot of things. I think there are geopolitical th things going on here that have nothing to do with plastics. I think it has uh, a lot to do with um, you know, the sovereignty and the power of individual governments to make their choices. I think it has to do probably with some political posturing. We, at the end of the day, we live in a political world where governments are subject to politics. So, you know, I think there's a lot of reasons to why that is the case, but I think what we hopefully see this morning when we reconvene is a path forward that shows that there's gonna be an inclusive process for all governments and that we actually get to some of the substantive work. I think on the, uh, the business coalition in general, um, we've had a ton of dialogue with them. Um, I know many of those folks in, in those companies, we interact with them on a daily basis. I don't really think we're that far off in what we're saying. As an industry, we think that the first most important thing is that it should accelerate circularity. And in the process of circularity, that means sustainable consumption, it means designing products that are made to be remade, it means make, you know, finding ways to ensure three billion people have access to equitable waste management. If we put in place the models for circularity and we're making that transition, a natural occurrence probably will be less virgin plastic in plastic products. That is very different than a global regulatory scheme that basically ties countries' arms behind their backs and dictate what they can do. And so I don't think that's, I, I, don't, I actually don't think we're that far off in, in regards to saying that. I think in regards to the High Ambition Coalition, I think it's really important to know that we as an industry also have very high ambition. And I think a lot of countries who are not part of the High Ambition Coalition equally have high ambition. And I think they have high ambitions to ensure that they have clean water, clean energy, access to clean food, that um, there are things taken into consideration that are unique to their own national circumstances. I've spoken to you a little bit about our industry's high ambitions. So I think at the end of the day, these labels will probably make for good marketing campaigns, but I really want us to dive into the substance of what we're doing. And when I think we dive into the substance, there's going to be a clear understanding, in my hope, about the direction where these should take, where it really focuses on the issue of plastic pollution, which is why we're here and why this whole process began, versus restraining plastic production, which I think are two very different things. Okay, regarding some of the specifics that might help to get us there, um, it, it, there's been some pre-negotiation some pre events, some public events, and mm -hmm. one on Friday, <coughs> a minister from the United Kingdom uh, yep. uh, talked about that country's tax on plastic packaging that's less than, I think it's 30% recycled content. Um, coming out of the treaty, is that uh, a policy direction that, that governments will be going in? Um, I think coming out of at least this round of negotiation, 
the hope is that there is what will be called the acceleration or the development of a zero draft. And that zero draft is going to put every option on the table. And it's not an endorsement of any one policy, but it's really to give negotiators a framework around all the topics that they should debate. My guess is there will be a lot of hype around what that means and what that doesn't mean. I think that's actually the beginning of the substantive piece here. So um, do I think a global tax um, is on the table? Yeah, I think some countries are absolutely advocating for it. But is that even implementable? Is it equitable? Is it practical? I mean, think about those three things. How, who would administer such a thing? Who would oversee the money? How would we ensure the money goes back into appropriate waste management, capacity building, circularity? So I think at the end of the day, if countries individually want to decide to do that, they should do that. I generally believe, and I think the American Chemistry Council and America's plastic makers have argued that a tax does not solve the problem, that it probably results in impacting people who can least afford it, and it's going to slow this, the work that's happening on more sustainable issues on you know, clean water, electric vehicles, modern home insulation, which would be extremely problematic. One of the uh, elements that I think uh, is on the industry's sort of technology uh, agenda for this, uh, for, for plastics recycling, is advanced recycling, or mm -hmm. chemical recycling, as some yep. call it. Um, how do you see that issue playing out in the treaty? You know, so it's an interesting topic, and I've, I've actually have been really intrigued by the conversation that we've had on, on the issue of chemical or advanced recycling. I think that if I were, you know, you read a lot of hype around chemical recycling today, and sometimes the way it could be portrayed by NGOs, you would think that the world is falling apart if an agreement ever does that. But I would argue that in taking you into the room and some of the conversations I've had with actual delegate, you know, negotiating delegations, there is a broad recognition today that existing technologies don't really solve the problem. I, I was in a meeting yesterday with one government that talked about the challenges that they have in an agreement to provide food grade, medical quality, recycled material, and the limits that come from mechanical recycling to do that. And so there was a recognition that chemical uh, uh, recycling technologies or future advanced recycling technologies were going to be needed to meet those aspirational goals. And I think this is a really important issue because I think the issue of chemical recycling and virgin caps or virgin production caps are actually pretty closely tied together. I think you have a lot of NGOs here today who are not practical, who don't want something implementable, who don't want something equitable, are arguing that those two things are, are closely linked. If industry is really successful, which we will be in accelerating chemical recycling, this means the industry thrives overall. It's a really important piece of the overall uh, piece. If, if it doesn't, then all of the things that they are advocating for, which is really the elimination of the industry and the products we make, then the, it, that would not occur, right? And so I just think that these things are going to be closely linked. I think governments are recognizing that they need an all of the above approach. Um, one of the things that we get asked all the time in these delegation meetings is what as a country can we do to further accelerate the use of chemical recycling? And one of the things we say is market signals matter. Regulation, certainty really matter. Um, there's investments happening all over the globe, but if we, you know, as a business, if you're a private business, are you going to invest somewhere where you're uncertain if it's going to count, if it's going to be regulated out of existence, and if the end product will be counted as recycled material? Those are certainties that are going to be needed. I think it really boils back down 
to the importance of having a country-driven approach to deal with these matters. Okay. Um, can you take us for a little bit inside the room, so to speak, at a negotiating session? What is day-to-day -day, uh, existence like yeah. here for you at, at a Plastics Treaty negotiating session? You're meeting, running from country to country delegation meetings, or what's going on? It, there's, it's a lot. Of, I mean, I actually have found it to be, um, I, I find these to be very intriguing, to be quite honest with you, and they're very interesting in general. Um, there's two ways that we are, in, are interacting here. Organizations like ACC, the International Chemical, uh, International Council of Chemical Associations, that's a tongueful, or ICCA, the World Plastics Council, and a bunch of others. There are a lot of accredited organizations here. The way the process works is some, um, a limited amount of badges give you access to the floor with delegations depending upon what's happening. And then generally you're here in the halls and you're running into delegations and they're teamed and whatnot. On the floor yesterday, the plenary session went most of the day over procedure. You have great ability to, you know, just walk up to delegations and have conversations with them. and understand what questions they have, what resources they have. And then in addition to that, we are having bilateral meetings with countries all across the globe. And the questions that they ask us are, um, one, what are, you know, what, what are your plans to help accelerate circularity? Two, how can we help do that? Three, what are the unintended consequences of an agreement that goes bad? I think those are pretty common things we hear. And then I think at the end of the day, to put a bow on it, I think generally there's a broad recognition from countries all over the globe that industry needs to have a seat at the table because they can accelerate and unleash the innovation. And they frankly, we have the, some of the smartest people in the industry do those things. And so I think that there's that broad recognition. I actually think Steve, it's a really important point just to emphasize here the difference between how industry is engaging and how NGOs. And I think NGOs are not all created equal, just to be very clear. There are some very pragmatic, realistic NGOs who I, I think do have good interests and good intentions at heart. But I do think there's another group of people who say, like, industry should never be involved, and they're the worst people in the whole wide world. I just think it shows the lack of seriousness to solve the problem. To solve big problems, you need to get everybody together uh, and find that common ground. And I think we're seeing that really play out with our direct interactions. Okay. Um, uh, to pick up on language you just used a minute ago, let's uh, put a bow on this podcast and let me ask you one final question. Um, we've talked about the differences in some of the negotiating positions going mm -hmm. on. Um, are there also areas of agreement that you see emerging that we might, um, uh, uh, are there some broad areas that you think there is agreement on how to approach the problem? Yeah. I think there's broad agreement that there needs to be the use of more circular feedstock. There needs to be the issue of sustainable consumption being addressed at the local level to ensure countries are using products to meet their needs. I think there's a lot of discussion on the need to ensure that industry is designing products that are circular and recyclable. And I think there's a lot of agreement that to get waste out of the environment, we need access to equitable waste management. I think there's a ton of agreement on those types of things. I also think the bow around all of that is that there's also a broad recognition that plastic has the lowest carbon footprint compared to other any other material. It's gonna be critical to achieving the UN Sustainable Development Goals. And it will be critical, particularly in the US context, and frankly in every context, not the US context, to achieving cleaner energy, um, solar, wind, all of the above approaches here that we're, we're working in. Um, so I think that's going to be where all of this kind of land and where that common ground is. 
Okay, well, on that note, um, let's put a bow on the podcast, not to overuse a metaphor, but uh, thank you for joining us, Joshua. We appreciate it. Thank you, Steve. This has been a Plastics News production. For more on the Global Plastics Treaty and other stories on plastics public policy matters, visit us at plasticsnews.com. And thanks for listening.